microphone on. So enjoy this right now. It uh, hopefully by the time, end of service we get this ready. Okay, got it. Good morning, everybody. It is really good to see you and those of you online. Um, happy official spring. Can you believe it? Uh, I can't believe we are already well into March, especially in spite of how March behaved last year, which I'm not really over yet. Um, but yeah, can you believe it? This past week, it's been a year since we started lockdown, a year since we began uh, online services. I was looking at pictures on my phone from last March. Did anyone else do the thing where you like hand washed all your groceries and bleached them before bringing them to the house? Uh, you got that nice Clorox taste in your apple. So I'm really glad that's over. Um, but I love when we can have a little bit of interaction. So whether you're at home, uh, you can type in the comments. Even if you're here, you can open up Facebook and uh, type some comments. But I'd love to hear what, it, what is one thing that God has taught you over this past year through the pandemic? What is one way that your faith has been stretched uh, or grown? And I'll read yours later. I'll share a few of mine. Uh, for me, trust, obviously a big one. Uh, in a year where I had no control or knowledge of how this was going to work out and just really trying to walk by faith instead of by sight. For me, patience is another big one. My wife and I, the first, you know, a year ago, said, this better not last more than two weeks, right? What are we going to do with the kids? Um, and so patience is a big one. Humility for me. Another big one, especially if I'm honest with the election year and reading the comments of friends of mine that have just vastly opposing views, um, I, I really had to watch and guard my heart and my thoughts. Um, you know, pride and anger really try to, to kind of force its way into my heart. And so humility is one that God's been working with me on. I've been challenged and stretched, I think like many of us, in the area of racism uh, racism that's all around us, sometimes inside of us, and, and what my response is to that. I've had a lot of learning to do this year. I still have a lot of learning to do. Um, and hopefully not just learning, but action, right? And again this week, uh, to, to, our, to our Asian family members, um, I am sorry that it, it took a horrific and just um, eye-opening event for us to, to kind of lift up the floorboards and see just the horrible, racist, hateful rot that you deal with often on a frequent basis. And I confess, I'm often clueless about. I'm sorry that it takes something as, as shocking and horrible as this for us to begin to see and, and, and open our eyes and our ears and to hear. And so I speak for myself, I think I speak for our whole church when I say that um, we want to do better, we want to be family, we want to carry your burdens with you, we want to mourn with you this week. We want, we want you to know and need you to know that you are 100% not just welcome here but wanted here. I mean that. Right? You are loved. That goes for everyone in the house, everyone who's watching. Doesn't matter what your ethnicity or background or first language is. I am genuinely glad that you're here. We are like the coolest family in the United States. So, 
Um, and we'll talk about that a little bit more too, but we're in the six-week series on, on Micah 6, verse 8, and I got this t-shirt especially for today, and so you can read it with me. I don't know if it's too small of a font. Let me just suck my gut in for a second. Uh, but if you want to read it with me, it says, Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. Let's do it again. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. A verse will be up on the screen. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, and you, and you, and me? But to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Now this verse talks about God's requirements for us, which um, God has requirements and expectations for us. It makes sense. In my job, maybe in your job, there are certain requirements that we have. If you're a student, you have requirements in order to graduate or pass your class. And what I love about this is God makes it pretty simple, right? We tend to overcomplicate things. God makes this really simple. And simple doesn't mean easy, necessarily, right? There are things that are very difficult. God doesn't promise this is going to be easy. Walking with Jesus comes at great personal cost. So he's not saying this will be easy, but I think it is pretty simple. Three things for us to focus on, right? Do justice, and we're going to talk about that today. Love kindness, that's the fruit of the Spirit working in you. And walk with God, that's the faith part, right? Like Enoch walked with God. And do it with humility. So past uh, four weeks, we've kind of focused on these bottom two, humility and kindness. Um, and on purpose, we wanted to kind of lay a foundation because I believe that humility and kindness are both really important to approaching this idea of justice. So we need these two to get over here. Um, we'll be talking about this uh, justice this week and next week. I wish it was simple. Uh, unfortunately, people have really complicated this idea of justice. Right? There are different philosophies uh, that has really polarized this idea throughout the centuries. Church history has uh, complicated it, social media, other people's opinions, uh, allegiance to different political parties can complicate this. There's a big range of beliefs about justice. And I read a, a really good article uh, this past week. I, I highly recommend it by Pastor Tim Keller. If you really want to get into this and learn about biblical justice versus uh, secular justice, not an easy read, but it's well worth it. But there's just so many philosophies and terms, and everyone's got a different idea about what this means, and people get real defensive about it. You know what I mean? And that's where humility has to come in. If you're feeling defensive when people talk about justice, Go to you, humility. And so today, I just want to kind of simplify this, look at a few key passages from Scripture, especially Matthew 25. Um, if you want to research, you want to get into the weeds of it, you know, I think that's great. I think there's value in that. But for our purposes today and for our daily lives, I want to try and keep it kind of simple. So our biblical understanding of justice first is rooted in God himself. It is built from the, the very nature and character of God, that God is just, he is righteous, he is good, God is love. It's also rooted in the nature of man, that God created, he made us in his own image so that every single human being is an image bearer of God. Every human being has an inherent value. Every human being has equal value, right? So woman Men, children, the elderly, 
equal value. Uh, Hispanic, black, East Asian, Indian, white, Islander, equal value. Um, homeless, CEO, single, married, sinner, sinner who hides his sin really well and sinner who doesn't hide their sin at all. Equal value, an image bearer of God. Every human, we believe, must be treated with fairness, dignity, and equity, right? As a valuable person made in the image of God, that's our response of justice. Now, the other side to this of our human nature is the nasty side, uh, is that we're all born with a, a sinful nature. And so people's pride, people's selfishness, people's lust for power, people's greed, that all contributes to injustice. This is where retributive justice and restorative justice comes into play. Um, retributive meaning like retribution. This is not what we're talking about today. This is mostly God's job in the Bible. And unless you're like a political, you know, you have a job as a police officer or in politics, this is not your job. Most of the time in scripture, it talks about restorative justice. That's our job, right? 90% of the time. Uh, and that means that we go to those who are suffering and we help lift them up and we bring restoration to them. The wholeness that we receive from Jesus as citizens of his kingdom, we bring that to other people. That means doing something practical. That also means speaking up or um, advocating for those who may be marginalized or poor or powerless. Proverbs 31 verse 8 and 9 says this. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. We don't speak up for the rich and powerful, not because they're less important in, uh, as persons before God, right? But because they don't need speaking up for. The reality is that the, the playing field is not level, right? And so the Bible recognizes that and it gives us that responsibility to help lift people up when the playing field is not level. Lastly, I believe biblical justice is rooted in what Jesus teaches, the golden rule, where you imagine what someone else would want to do, what you would want them to do for you, right? And then you go and you do it for them. Uh, which is pretty simple. Whatever you want others to do for you, do it for them. Biblical justice, of course, can happen on an individual level, but it also, biblically, on a communal level, on a corporate or national level, um, God's requirement for us in every sphere is that we pursue justice. There's, of course, a lot of topics that justice covers. I'll just mention a few. Um, this could be talking about taking care of the poor and those who don't have enough in our own cities, in slums around the world, in villages that don't have clean water. Um, this could be doing something about children, so many children that die every day needlessly from malnutrition and preventable diseases. Uh, this could be about the 40 million plus people that are victims of human trafficking. Many of them are kids. 40 million is not a statistic. 40 million individual people who are enslaved, people that are made in the image of God and are valuable. This could be a conversation about racism, of course, and systems of oppression. Uh, this could be talking about refugees. There's 79 million people that were forcibly displaced from their homes and their countries. If you're American-born, 
Can you imagine if you were forcibly displaced from the United States because of your, your faith or your ethnicity or your language? Where would you go? Like, what would you do? It's a big issue. Uh, this could be protecting children or people with disabilities or widows or single moms. I mean, there's so many uh, areas and topics. This is not an exhaustive list. And, <clears throat> excuse me, again, I know this topic can can become divisive the, the deeper that we go into it. And we can learn from culture and experts, um, but, but the word of God has to be our path. Right? I want the word of God to be the road that I travel on when I think about justice and I learn about justice. I need, I need humility to be like guardrails that keep me in check and I need kindness and mercy to be the, the gas that drives me, right? The, the, the fuel in my tank to get me there. So um, a few points today that I want to look at. Uh, first one is that justice is very near to the heart of God. This is really important for us. The first thing that we learn in Scripture is that justice is a really big deal for God. Right? This is something that's important to him. Did you know that there are over 2,000 verses, over 2,000 references about the poor and justice and, and our response to it. And what's interesting to me, in contrast, is there are some issues that historically Christians have made a very big deal about that maybe, you know, perhaps rightfully so, but issues that maybe we have like one or two verses on, some of them vague, um, while ignoring justice. So I'll give you an example. I used to go to a church a long time ago before PAC that made a huge deal about all kinds of stuff. Um, and I'll give you two examples. You know, number one, Christians do not smoke, ever. If you're smoking, you know. And Christians never curse, never cuss. Now, I'm not saying do those things, right? Uh, I'm saying how many clear verses do we have about those in comparison to 2,000 verses about the poor and justice and this particular church, I don't remember ever doing anything for the poor or in the, in the cause of justice. But they always made a big deal about these other things. What are some things that Christians make a big deal about today? You know, again, maybe rightfully so. I'm not discrediting that. All of Scripture is God-breathed. All of Scripture is important, right? Even if it's just one verse, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, the weight of 2,000 plus verses that God puts behind this, we have to pay attention to it. God is saying over and over and over again, this is really, really important to me, pay attention. Pastor Boyd recently said, um, I love this, he said, as a church, our goal isn't to be against people and harp on their sins, especially those outside of the family of God. That's not our job. That's none of my business. Rather, uh, we, rather than a church that is against people, we want to be for people. We want to be for those who are marginalized, overlooked, uncared for, downtrodden. Amen? 2,000 verses. This is really important to God. I wanted to do like just go through every section of Scripture today and look at all these verses. Don't have time. Um, but we'll just read one or two and then we'll jump into our main passage today. Proverbs 29, verse 7 says, The righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. 
Isaiah 1, verse 17. Learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, which my question is how, I and mean, something to think about, how, how do you defend the oppressed? Against who? Take up the cause of the fatherless and plead the case of the widow. Uh, go home and study Isaiah 58, write that down. Amazing passage, don't have time for it. Uh, Micah 6, 8 is another example on my shirt right here. Uh, look at Jeremiah chapter 22. This is a fascinating verse. God's talking about King Josiah, and he says this. He did what was right and just, and so all went well with him. He defended the cause of the poor and the needy, so all went well. Is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord. Wow. You can respond online to this question, because uh, it's a good question. What does that mean? Right? How do you equate um, buying a lunch for a homeless man or, you know, helping people in, in trafficking, how do you equate that to, is this not what it means to know me? Clearly throughout the Old Testament, this is a very important topic. This is a, a big deal for God. And then we get to the New Testament, and as you'd imagine, now it doesn't talk about justice anymore. Now it's just talking about the gospel and salvation and spiritual matters, right? No. Eh. The New Testament also, from start to finish, is very concerned with the issue of justice, a restorative justice in practical ways. So much so that the early church was known for doing this. This is something that's really clearly important to God, 2,000 plus verses. And if it's important to, to him, is it important to me? Second thing, uh, second point, because this is important to God, justice, I believe, can be an act of worship. Let me explain. If you have a Bible, you can open up to Matthew 25. It's the famous passage of the sheep and the goats. Uh, thanks to my parents, I've had, and raising me on Keith Green, uh, I've had this passage memorized since I was like eight probably, but I'll try and read it so I don't mess up the translation. But it says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all of the angels with him, then will he sit on his glorious throne and before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. And he'll place a sheep on his right and he'll put the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world because you went to church every week and because you read your Bible all the way through in 2020 with PAC's reading plan, because you didn't get drunk ever or watch R-rated movies, because you knew at least half the words to reckless love. No, that's not what it says. It says, for I, me, Jesus, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you... You welcomed me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Have you ever taken credit for something that you didn't do? Like maybe in high school, your lab partner just aced your project for you and you're like, oh yeah, I'm good at chemistry. Um, we used to have a couple guys, two guys that worked here on staff that people often confused me with them, Brett and Rolando, I guess we look similar. Um, and one day someone came up to me and thanked me for something that I didn't remember doing. And uh, I was like, 
wow, I don't remember ever doing that. And I said, you are so welcome. You can just make out a check to me personally. Uh, my name is Brett, but you spell that D-A-W-I-E. I'm just kidding. Uh, but you look at the, how they respond here, and they, they go, they essentially go, Lord, this is great, but I think there's a mistake. Like, of course we would have done this if we saw you, but uh, the truth is we never did this to you, Jesus. I'm sorry. And Jesus, they say, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and clothed you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, famous verse, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. Let's look at that list real quick. I was hungry. Have you ever been hungry? Uh, not because you, you were dieting or fasting, but because you couldn't afford food. There's uh, two billion people struggling with hung hunger around the world. And statistics says, apparently, that if first world countries, what they spend on ice cream a year could cover food, clean water, and basic education for everyone in a third world country. Uh, I was thirsty. There's a huge need worldwide for clean and safe water, right? I'm really proud of my dad. Uh, he's retired, but he spends a lot of his free time. Um, he started an organization to get food and clean water, water filters, to people in Malawi. It's awesome. Um, I was a stranger. The Greek word is xenos, which is where we get the word xeno, xenophobia from, right? It literally means foreigner or alien. How are you treating the people that are not like you, that are different from you? Another way to look at this verse that's, uh, to me, personal is there's half a million, 500,000 foster children in the United States that may be a stranger, but they need a safe and a loving home to bring them into. And I'll share more of my story, our story, in the question and answers later if you're interested. I was sick. Just kind of self-explanatory, right? Um, but I think it could also mean physically weak or disabled. I was in prison. I don't know if you've ever visited someone in prison before, but so much loneliness and isolation. There's a, a dehumanization that happens there. A lot to learn about mass incarceration and all that stuff. You can, you know, I challenge you to, to, to learn about that. Verse 41, then he'll say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed ones, into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Because I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, me, Jesus, I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you, you did not welcome me. I was naked and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. And they'll answer in my words, they probably go, phew, Jesus, you scared me for a second there. Don't worry, it's just a mistake. You never appeared to us, so we're just going to go in with those guys over there. They don't know, right? They go, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and we didn't minister to you? And then he will answer them saying, truly I say, to you as you did it not to one of the least of these 
You didn't do it to me. Super convicting passage, and I just want to make a few comments and observations, and then we'll wrap up for today. First, we have to remember that we always interpret Scripture with Scripture, right? And so we look at all the passages on salvation, all the passages on the the final judgment seat of of God. Um, And so this passage is not saying that we are saved by good works, right? We are still saved by faith and grace, not works, Ephesians chapter 2, but we are saved for good works, right? Jesus is using this parable to make a very specific point. That being said, it's interesting to me that judgment, at least in this passage, Jesus doesn't separate sheep and goats based on those who avoided sin successfully and those who didn't, right? Here, judgment has nothing to do with avoiding sin. In this story for the goats, it's not about morally wrong things that they did do. It's about right things that they did not do, that they ignored. Just, I don't want to look at that. I don't want to think about that. Another interesting point is that the sheep don't take any credit. Uh, They don't even, none of them realizes whether they did it or didn't do it, right? Clearly for the sheep, this wasn't about effort. This wasn't about checking off a list, right? Fed Jesus today, check. Clothed Jesus today, check. I think it just came naturally for them, right? It seems like it was less about effort and more about um, just being the right kind of person. Be a sheep not a goat. Be a sheep that knows your shepherd's voice, that spends so much time with your shepherd that you have the fruit of the spirit. You have kindness inside of you. Uh, Which one do you think is more humble, sheep or goat, right? Humility. Uh, This is somebody who loves kindness and mercy. Be a sheep, not a goat. Notice also that only the shepherd seems to know who the sheep and the goats are. Right? They didn't even know themselves. And so be careful about writing people off or judging people before judgment day because we don't know. There's another story, a parable, where Jesus talks about weeds. And he says, leave the weeds because I don't really trust you to know who the weeds are and who is not the weeds. I'll take care of that at the end. Going back to justice being a form of worship, here's what I mean by that. In this passage, obviously, Jesus' identification with the poor and the needy goes very, very deep, right? He identifies himself with them when he says, whatever you do to them, you're actually doing it to me. I'm receiving it as to me. I'm receiving it as worship. Let me use an illustration from communion. Uh, Different denominations have different beliefs about communion. On the one side, if you're Roman Catholic, you believe in transubstantiation, which means uh, they believe that the, the juice or wine and the, the bread physically, literally become the body of Christ. On this side of the spectrum, like Baptists, believe that it's just bread, it's just juice, but it symbolizes the body of Christ, and we use it to remember, right? And then kind of in between, there's a few denominations that believe that it's that it's just bread and juice or wine, but in a, in a spiritual sort of way, we, we physically encounter the presence of Jesus when we partake of the elements. And I think it's similar here. Um, 
when, when you pursue justice, when you help people in need, is it checking off a list of things that you're supposed to do, or is it an act of worship, a, a holy moment, where, where you're not just doing it to them, but you're doing it to Jesus, and he receives that as worship? Is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord. There's a story of a, an inner city church that uh, an upper middle class church, and they had a soup kitchen during the week for homeless people in the city, and tons of people with need would come to the soup kitchen. And of course, over time, more and more homeless people started coming to the Sunday morning 11 o'clock service. And, and so some of the church people and deacons went to the pastor and they said, Pastor, you know, this is good, but do these people have to be in here with us? Like, can't we have a separate service for them? One guy smells like alcohol, another guy's got something in his beard, like, you know. And the pastor, um, the pastor responds, he says, well, I think everybody should have a chance to meet Jesus face to face. And of course, you know, the deacon says, he goes, well, of course, everyone should have a chance to meet Jesus. You know, I just, I think they should have the same opportunities as we all do, but, and then the pastor shot back, I'm not talking about them, I'm talking about you. You need a chance to meet Jesus face to face. When you serve and when you love the least of these, that leads us to our, my third point, last one, make it personal. Make it personal. I want to show you a quick, it's a spoken word by an artist, a Christian artist named Micah Bournet, and then I'll, um, we'll wrap up.